0: Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha, and thanks for joining me today on Behavior Babes Podcast. I'm very excited to introduce Eileen Lamb and welcome her to our show. Hi, Eileen. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. I'm very excited and interested in the, what we're going to discuss and in our conversations. And I always love to start by having our guests give an introduction of themselves. So go ahead and get us started if you don't mind. So my name is Eileen Lamb. I'm French. You will hear
1: my accent. Um, I live in Austin, Texas now. I'm an autistic author and photographer and I have two children on the spectrum, Charlie and Jude. My oldest son Charlie is uh, level three and he was diagnosed when he was uh, young, he was not even two and my youngest son was just diagnosed a few months ago, it's still very new and he's level one like me Um, and I haven't talked about this much
0: but yeah we're pretty much all on the spectrum except my husband. Well, I'll have to invite him on to ask him about his experiences at a future date. <laughs> um, how old are your
1: children now? So Charlie's eight and Jude's going to be six
0: on, in July. Wow. Um, so I this is our first time officially meeting other than in the interwebs and the, the social media stratosphere, if you will. Um, something that has been so appealing and attractive to me about your story, your delivery of your story, you mentioned it very quickly in your intro, is you're you're a photographer, you're an artist, you're an author. Can you talk to me and our audience a little bit more about that piece of of you?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, well, first of all, being an author is something I've been wanting to do since I was a kid. Um, I've loved reading since I was, I mean, three or four, I learned to read very early on. and I, I told everyone I'm gonna write books. But you know, when kids say that, you're like, yeah, okay. Um, but but I did. Um, and photography, though, that's not something I've been interested in for a long time. It just kind of happened after um, I became a mom. You know, I started taking pictures of my kids at first with my phone. Then I bought, you know, a nice-ish camera, and then I got really into it, and then I. Yeah, (laughs) actually, that may be a thing with autism, too, is that once I like something, I really like it. And I started watching, you know, YouTube tutorial and spending hours every day figuring out the camera and how to do this and that. And then it became a way for me to express myself, both the photography and the writing. I mean, the writing is very obvious. Um, It's always been easier for me to express myself um, by writing. I've only started, like talking about my experiences like actual talking uh, a couple years ago Um, yeah for me writing is always easier but photography has been a great outlet to to express myself Um, and yeah I love it I think they go very well together especially like on the internet with what I do it's yeah I like it
0: you mentioned the internet. Um I like it too. I like it a lot. You your handle on the internet is the autism cafe. Yeah. How did you come up with that title and what um motivated you to say I'm going to I'm going to take my story and put it out there?
1: Well, so the name is it's funny because I still wanted to keep a little part of France uh and you know in France I love going to cafe and bars um but bars the autism bar didn't sound very internet and kid friendly so i was like yeah the autism cafe that's that's pretty good and you know a cafe in france is not only the coffee that you drink it's the place where you drink it's like a cafe um and where people have discussions uh and it, it's just a very nice i like the message as a french person that it gives uh, it's like a safe place and you go with your friends you, you talk and you share Um, and what started it is actually I had a party at Charlie's my oldest son uh, ABS center for Halloween so he was very young he was two then and uh, you know I went there because I thought it would be nice to connect with other moms who had autistic children and I was really excited because Charlie we couldn't go out anymore it it was really difficult like the he didn't like it and the the tantrums the meltdowns a little bit of everything it was just really hard so we stayed home all a lot of the time but in that environment i thought it would be okay because we had like therapists it was very small um very small like party it's not even a party you know and just a few people um, and, you know, we didn't even put him in a, in a in a costume because we knew he wouldn't like that. But anyway, I wanted to connect with other parents, other autistic kiddos. And we had to leave that party because even there, um, Charlie couldn't, it was just too much for him. And I felt so alone in that moment. I was like, I mean, these are supposed to be my people. You know, it's supposed to be a safe place. And I was like, I just have to, write about it see if there are other parents who feel that way who have any insight on what i can do to help charlie better and and you know keep in mind i was like just after he was diagnosed like six months six months after that um so that was the first reason and then also i learned that because i joined support groups in france and i learned that in france uh, the situation with autism is absolutely horrible I mean it was when I left France in 2011 but I guess I hadn't realized that things I don't change that much um, but they see autism as something like horrible that they need to be institu- you know in institutions uh, there is no ABA therapy I mean I guess it's starting now but back then there was no ABA, uh, very hard to get access to speech therapy, uh, OT, all of that. Kids are not getting diagnosed unless they're like severe. Um, I mean, so I wanted to keep my family updated and share about autism. So people in France, because that's where I'm from, you know, we're more educated and learn about my life and what it
0: was like for us. So that's why I started it. I love the description of the cafe. And one of the things that you said about it was that you wanted to create a safe space, a place where you might go with your friends and talk about shared experiences. Um, We're gonna come back to that. I think that's a really interesting theme that will probably be reoccurring through our conversations is creating safe spaces and encouraging communication. Um, It's very touching to hear that it was to be connected, right? The the purpose is to connect Um, and I think, from my experiences, seeing a lot of your comments and your posts, your photos, your writings, your videos, um, you've created a space where people are engaged, where people are looking and listening. And uh, sometimes you may still feel alone, but you certainly have generated a community that is very happy and proud to be a part of the conversations with you. You mentioned that you lived in France in 2011. And now that you live in Texas in 2021, how did you go from being in France to the States? And what was that journey like for your boys as well? Well, I,
1: uh, I didn't have my kids in 2011, but uh, that was just a really interesting choice for me to make. I was just feeling really out of place in France. Um, that's, I was 21, um, so now, you know, my age um, and I just figured I needed a fresh start, but also I've always been so in love with the United States. Uh, I don't know if it's because it was different, but everything I had seen in the movies, I just, I I wanted to go there. So I, uh, I went there as an au pair, it's basically like a nanny. That was my only option to go there and try it out and see if I liked it. Um, I had never been to the United States or outside of Europe before. It was really scary. And it was the best decision I've, I've ever made. Honestly, I've never felt more at home than I do in, in Texas or well, in Austin. It's different than the rest of Texas. But yeah, so that, that was it. I was just like, got to try something different. And I'm
0: so glad I did you can see I'm not very good at math on the spot. As soon as I asked that question, I was like, wait a second, we just learned how old Charlie and Jude are. Um, It takes a certain person, especially at a certain place in their life to take that big risk, to move somewhere where you're not familiar and where you're not comfortable. Um, It seems like though some of those experiences have taught you some resiliency and this is just me from the outside looking in. As I mentioned, I'm just meeting you today, officially. Um, But I feel like you exude that, you exude in some ways a bravery in the things that you share or vulnerability perhaps as well. Thank you. Um, Yeah, so you mentioned yourself as well as having an autism diagnosis. Um, I'm curious if you're willing to share, was that a diagnosis that you received as an adult when you were younger? Um, And what has that process or journey been like for you?
1: yeah that that happened after Charlie was diagnosed actually again, it was kind of linked to friends um i uh i you know I told my mom when Charlie was diagnosed with autism at twenty two months old and she said, Well, that's such an American thing. Charlie cannot be autistic because um you are the exact same way as a child, and you're not autistic, so like it's not possible, except you talked a lot. She did say that, and it's true i just, Doctor. <laughs> um and you know th- that was it and then i you know because i joined the autism world when charlie was diagnosed i started to learn about high functioning autism and that's when like it just it clicked for me it's like wait that's me that's me um but you know i didn't want to self-diagnose myself like it just seemed crazy i was like well maybe there's another explanation um, so I went through a therapeutic assessment. It's like dozen of hours, it's a very lengthy long process. Um, with a psychologist, and actually mine was a, an autism specialist. Um, and uh yeah, at the end of it, after all these long hours of tests and talking to my family members and uh you know talking with me, she said that. I have high functioning autism Um, and you know I thought that might have been a possibility because that's why I saw her I needed answers I wanted to know if that was social anxiety something else she said at some point she was thinking maybe schizophrenia or something like there are so many ADHD so many things that can look like autism but It's not autism. So that's why it was really important for me to see a a professional and get like real answers about myself. Um, And yeah, that's how I learned in my mid twenties that I was autistic too. And it explained so many of my struggles and in a way it was nice. In other ways, it wasn't so nice because I felt like I could have gotten so much more help if I had been diagnosed as a child But then again, in France, probably wouldn't have made a difference. Might have made it worse for me. Um, The label, I mean, it's sad to say that, but it might have been worse. So there was a lot of like, huh, what if? Um, But in the end, I'm really glad I I went through that therapeutic assessment. Um,
0: I, I needed these answers. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate how you mentioned that there's so many things that could present with similar types of behaviors or needs. And for many of the clients I've worked with and, and still talk to and speak with and, and so forth, there's a lot of co-occurring needs. Um, anxiety being a big one, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. And anxiety is quite the beast. Uh, you don't have to be on the autistic, um, autism spectrum or autistic to have anxiety. I can, I can attest to that. Um, but I imagine that compounds things, and it, it does make it harder to kind of self-identify. Um, myself, I, I would go to a doctor with an ear infection, and he'd say, what's wrong? And i say, I have an ear infection. And he would say, no, no, let me do the, all of the assessments. <laughs> and he would do the assessments, and then I would say, what's yeah. wrong? And he would say, you have an ear infection. Um, but I learned uh, I, I had chronic ear infections, so after a while I was able to detect them. Um, but I learned even with my doctors, I would go in and say, here, here are my symptoms. And I actually got my answers much quicker sometimes. So it is really helpful to get that medical input and piece of things. Um, you know, I can tell you I have an ear infection. You can tell me, Hey, that's the 10th one. We should do something about it.
1: Well, so, yeah. <laughs> and if you've been having them for so long, I mean, by now you probably recognize uh, the symptoms. You know, it's funny you mentioned the anxiety because when Jude, my youngest, you know, I took him to the, he's been he was seen by the developmental pediatrician since he was a baby because he's been you know he was delayed in speech ot uh, um physical fine motor and gross motor you know so but anyway the reason i went there in march is because of anxiety um but then he, we arrived at the appointment and just like getting it in her face showing her the money counting coins and all of that it's like how do you feel about uh, doing an ADOS right now? You know, the ADOS, Mm -hmm. and that's how it happened. But actually the reason I went to that appointment was not to get Jude evaluated for autism. It was uh, to get help for his anxiety.
0: Um, Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. You've mentioned that you're, um, both Jude and Charlie are on the spectrum, but at different places uh, or it's presenting very differently. you yourself have a diagnosis. I feel like you're a great person to speak to. Um, there's differences. <laughs> what are some of those differences between your boys um, and, what, um, and and between yourself? And I'm particularly thinking about one of your posts where you showed um, your son covered in mud and you were like, oh, he really enjoys this. I had a hard time with this at first.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, like just for instance, Charlie will go in the yard, like, and it just rains today. Like I'm looking at outside right now, and just looking at it, it just like makes me anxious because I'm already thinking about Charlie just wanting to go and basically like roll in the mud and get covered from head to toes. Um, um, and then there's Jude. If he gets some dirt on his hand, he's gonna run inside and wash his hands, uh, while Charlie is just gonna get himself covered. <laughs> very different you know things that make them comfortable un- uncomfortable and at the same time um, like these are things that are not how can i say that nicely like important um to live an independent life like these sensory things that are differences are not gonna mean that Charlie or Jude can or cannot live an independent life, but there are other very big differences between them. Like for instance, Charlie cannot communicate beyond basic needs. And I'm not just talking about um, verbal communication. I'm talking like in general, he uses AAC. It's an app called Proloquo2go. Um, And I'm so thankful for it because he can now tell us, I want cookie, I want outside, I want bus." but these are just needs. Um, i don't know if he's hurt i don't know where i don't know what he's feeling i He can't answer uh, yes or no, even though we've been working on it so hard like that's one of the first thing we try to you know uh get him to to tell us like do you want this yes or no um he can't do that it's really just needs because like that's your reinforcing if he wants something i think In any case uh we don't even know if he's gonna be able to live on his own that's you know at some point um there is the safety issue with charlie that are not an issue at all with jude um there is the self-care that charlie struggle with struggles and needs our help with every day um jude doesn't have any issue with that and these are very big um differences the struggles are different um and i relate to jude's struggles because they were mine in so so many ways and with charlie there are little things that i i can relate to like for instance noise i'm really sensitive to noise too and you know we get startled when other people don't so i relate with charlie more on that but that's pretty much the only thing where we i relate to charlie more Um, Charlie has the level three diagnosis and Jude the level one. And yeah, I think that's a big difference to me between level one and three. Level three, probably not going to live an independent life. I mean, if it happens, I'm going to be the happiest mom in the world, but I'm trying to be realistic here. And, you know, he's eight, working so hard for six years now um, and he's made progress, but it's nowhere you know, where he should be now. And I, I try not to get to hang up on what he is doing, that what he's not doing that he should be doing. But I also try to stay realistic with where we're at, because um, the truth is he's probably gonna need to live with us for the rest of his life. And I need to be prepared for that too. And if it doesn't happen, I mean, that's that's fine. But that's the big difference.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing. Yeah, I mean, we prepare for, for what we need to prepare for. And then we we do everything we can to get ourselves even beyond that goal and that aim. And that's what I'm hearing you say. Um, sometimes I call myself an optimistic realist. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so we yeah. can be real and we can still be hopeful. I think that those, are, those can coexist. Um, you talked about progress, you talked about services, and you've mentioned ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis how did how did you learn about that and how did you first encounter what was your first encounter with aba like
1: my first virtual encounter was really scary because so the developmental pediatrician told us well get him into aba after the diagnosis so what did i do because i didn't know anything about it i went online (laughs) yeah that was not a good idea and I had never seen it, so I didn't know what to believe because there's, from the outside, because at that point, I was on the outside. I I was like, what is this? People are saying it's torture. It's like training a dog. It's conversion therapy. Um, And you want me to put my child there for 25 hours a week? I mean, no. Um, That was my initial reaction. And then I talked to the doctors a bit more, got a second opinion, and people explained uh, you know, the controversy, and I was like, you know, we're going to give it a try, but I'm going to be there at first, and that's what I did, and actually, I was there for the first three years, I saw the therapy at home, Um well, in center first, but then we did in home only for, yeah, about three years, I never saw anything even close to to abuse like these people said you know i mean this the therapists they love Charlie um like their own kids, seriously it's just um it was amazing for me to see them, like he would go to therapy and be like smiling, um, just trying to get them to pick him up and get tickles, and he was happy with them, you know he is still so happy. the therapists are always so sad because you know there's a high turner, over, is that what it's called and they're always so sad when they have to you know not be with charlie anymore they can be his therapist um yeah i mean i think the most abusive it's not abusive at all thing i've with, witnessed in aba is when a therapist prevented charlie from lining up his uh, pieces of ham um he was lining them up instead of hitting the ham um and I was like hey you know if he does that it's soothing to him you can just and I was there was in my in my kitchen in my dining room um and that's it and I said something and they didn't prevent him from doing it again and that's it like it's literally like that simple you know it doesn't have to be a big oh it's abusive or it's not like if you see something you don't like uh you 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 talk about it and it's you know it's not abuse, it's like a difference. Yeah, it wasn't even a big deal.
0: Thanks for sharing about that as well. And I think we should talk about some of these claims if you're comfortable, where people now are saying and uh, sometimes it feels like it's much louder and I'm not sure if that's the case or if I'm paying more attention or if we're just been homes for so long, it feels like I miss people in the outside world. And so this has been how I've been connecting more having had now those experiences what would you say to a family who's trying to seek out services it's not just simple as saying it is or it isn't abuse I mean you've already given us some really nice examples of like where you can resolve things that you're uncomfortable with what would you
1: say what what can we say I mean I don't want to like force people to get it if they're uncomfortable but at the same time I would say that just be there if you're you know, if you want ABA and you're not sure, just like do it, give it a try and be there for the sessions. I know with COVID that might be a bit trickier. Uh, it's true, but hopefully things go back to normal soon. Um, and you are the parent. You can decide and make changes to whatever they're doing with your child. You know, you're in control. So if you see something you don't like that you would do differently, you you speak up and they're going to change it. I mean, um also keep in mind that a lot of the people who had bad experiences with iba i mean i'm sure it's true but that was years ago and it's not the therapy that was abusive it's the therapist um so to cancel an entire field because of some therapist uh, practitioners to me is really sad because that's a therapy that has helped so many people so many kids um I I know a lot of autistic adults um, who went through ABA and who are still talking with their therapist from like 20 years ago. So even back then, not all ABA was abusive. I think it was just more common, Um, but it's evolving. You know, people are listening um, to to the feedback and I don't think ABA is, is perfect. I think there are things we could improve, you know, like for instance, I'm wondering why that therapist prevented him, pre- preventing prevented Charlie from lining up his pieces of ham before eating it. Maybe that's something they taught her at school and she was just, you know, I, I don't know why that happened, but I'm sure there are little things we can teach RBT. Yeah, I say therapies, technically there are RBTs, right? Uh, we can teach them a little bit better and say, hey, you know, that's Lining things up, that's soothing to autistic kids, adults, Just, you know, let, let it be. Um, and I hear the claim that they force eye contact. And like, that is not not true. I mean, yeah, we're gonna try to get the child to look in the direction at least, but I, like it's, so at least people know they're talking to you, you know, um, but these, it's not like you look at me in the eyes and you can't like look down, like they make it sound like it's that type of things. Like I've never seen that. I've never heard anyone experience that. I'm not saying it didn't happen back then, but that's just not how it is right now. Um, also they say that ABA only cares about um, verbal skills, language. The first thing they did when Charlie got into ABA is to teach him PECs, which is, Uh, communication with little pictures um then we moved on to AAC which again is not a verbal form of communication we try sign language that's not a verbal form um I mean we tried everything um and they also said that ABS prevents kids from steaming and again that's not true and we've had so many therapists and we've gone through a few different centers and I've never seen that, Um, it just doesn't happen. I mean, unless the child is obviously like hurting themselves, we're going to prevent stimming. I mean, I would do too. Um, Anyone who wouldn't prevent harmful stims um, has the wrong intention, you know. Um, And yeah, so, so many of the ABA criticism is not based in truth and that's really hurting a lot of autistic kids and I wish uh, people would do their own research and see for themselves, like try it, um, go see a b a an a b a session or so they can make their own opinion not from the internet, not not from some secondhand experience, but
0: by themselves. you know Yes, yes, making informed decisions, getting that information. I agree that parents are scared. Um, it's already tricky and and unknown situation to navigate, and then you definitely do not want to harm your child. So the claim that that could even be possible, I think, is preventing parents from accessing care. And as you mentioned, it's probably hurting a lot of children. Um, I will comment on the, you know, whether it's the old ABA or the current ABA. I think we're always evolving. Um, As a science, as a society, I think that we should be um, aware of our our are areas of improvement, <laughs> whether that's an, an individual or collectively as scientists and practitioners. And for us, that's where, like many professions, there's continuing education, there's conversations, there's ethics codes. There's so many of those pieces that should be coming into play to protect families who are recipients of services. What is really different from 20 years ago till now is the fact that insurance provides coverage for this now in all 50 states. And with that comes a lot of requirements for regulation. So you were mentioning therapists or registered behavior technicians, and in some states, RBTs are not required. So mm-hmm. who can claim to do ABA is something that's also very important for people, parents in particular, to be looking at. What's the qualification? What are the requirements? How do I know if there's a, a concern where I could make a complaint if it needs to be more than a conversation? I. Also really appreciate you saying, be a part of the therapy, be present, ask questions, watch it. If somebody is a therapist or um, on a practitioner provider side, if somebody, if I ever said to a family, like, okay, we're going to go in here, I'm going to close the door and do ABA and you can't come in, that should be a red flag. That should always be a red flag. When I was originally trained, we would do that sometimes because we weren't taught how to work around distractions, not because the parent couldn't come in. We actually had a video camera and videotaped all of our sessions and they were watched and we would watch them together. We would take data on them, but I don't think we were as sophisticated. Myself, I'm speaking about myself and the team that I was working with. This was before the formation of the Behavioral Certification Board. It was in the 90s. And so you know, high school, college students, like, okay, I'm going to shut the door because his little sister's running down the hall. But I think that there were other times where people may have had experiences where the door was shut and that was for a different reason. So that's the kind of overlap where I see like things have changed as a practice because we learned that it doesn't matter if you can learn it behind the closed door. (laughs) You need to do it when your brother's running or your sister's running down the hall. So there is that kind of piece of things, but to families, I would echo your advice. And I would say it should be something that you're welcome to be a part of. And if not, that should be a red flag. Absolutely. I know that you have also been a champion for families and voices and platform that's drawn a lot of attention. And part of that, you've also received some negative attention for your advocacy. What has been your journey with that? Like When you first encounter that to where you are today?
1: Honestly, I think that's my biggest <laughs> personal growth, is dealing with the negativity online. Um, the first time, I mean, not just the first time, but the first time it happened to me, I was crushed. Um, I didn't sleep for days. I, I didn't understand why people on the internet, on, that was before I was diagnosed uh, with autism officially. Because like, I never told people I suspect I'm autistic before. I was actually officially diagnosed. And apparently, you can only speak about autism if you're autistic yourself, which is something I learned the hard way um, on the internet uh, back then. Uh, people, they came at me with oh, like hundreds of comments on my post about how proud I was because Charlie said a word. Um, he was five, he, he said a word. Um, And then I said I was sad because he had a regression and lost that word. Um, And I said, like, autism is a sif or something like that. That did not go well for me. Um, So, yeah, I got hundreds of comments and I was crushed. Uh, I felt like I was being harassed. Honestly, people were telling me, your son will grow up to to hate you. Um, I was just... So mean, you know, Um, and anyway, and then I I thought about it and I was like, how would I feel if my mom had shared my autism journey on the Internet? You know, I put myself in the other. Person's shoes. And I would have been so proud of her and I know it's different because it's France and there's not as much awareness as here but like as long as it's done in a way that is um you know respectful to the child um i i don't see anything wrong i don't think i could have gotten mad at my mom i mean she, it's helping so many people um so that's what helped me realize that i needed to keep speaking up despite all the hate but Honestly, up until this year, every time I got hit with those hundreds coming at once, because that's how they do it usually—they come at you, uh, and it's like hundreds of comments at once. Um, I would always be be crushed. At some point, it was like on every single post I posted, and I I was like, I I gotta quit just. My mental health. I cannot take this anymore. You know, I know that what they're saying is not true. I'm not an abusive mother. Uh, I don't deserve to die. I mean, I got some awful things. Uh, one advocate even contacted my manager. Um, they, you know, made some uh, internet memes about me. Wrote blog posts. I mean, it went so far. Um, and then I don't know what happened. Like this year, last year, I started realizing that it's always the same insults and arguments because they're like in their echo chamber and they just feel of each other. And it's not about me. It's not personal, like for some reason. And a lot of these people don't have diagnosis. Uh, A lot of them don't even experience ABA. Like I'm just talking about the insults in regards to ABA. Um, It's not about me, you know, it's their own thing and it doesn't affect me anymore i mean i wouldn't say it doesn't affect me but not to the same extent like i sleep at night you know i don't i just block them now i'm like yeah i can laugh it off and to me that's been the biggest um yeah the, the biggest gross because i'm very hard on myself and having all of these people come at me and tell me i'm a horrible mother and all of that used to really affect me but it doesn't anymore. I don't know if I've grown thick skin. I think that's the expression. Uh, but yeah, I I'm ending it pretty well. Did that sound really bad? No, that's that's okay. I yeah. Yeah, I'm proud of myself.
0: You should be proud of yourself. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, there can be ways to have disagreements and discussions. Attacking and cyberbullying people doesn't seem to be the most productive way for that to occur. I notice on your platforms on Instagram and on Facebook and other social media channels, you engage in a lot of conversation where people are disagreeing, where it's respectful, where they're sharing a perspective. I also see that you're getting tagged in a lot of other posts, and someone will say, "What do you think about this?" And you've been quite responsive. And um, what I think that that's done for the community of people who are feeling attacked. I think many people thought they were alone in those attacks. And I think taking the stance or being brave or shifting your own thoughts around it and then your behavior has opened up a conversation for people to feel united with, no, I am doing what's best for my child and I'm not going to feel bad about that. And quite honestly, Parents who are seeking out support for their children are already doubting themselves daily. You're already wondering, am I doing enough? Am I doing the right thing? So yes, I'm sure you're evaluating those choices constantly, refining them and looking back on them. Um, we don't need people to add hate, hate to that. Well, before we end today, I did wanna comment on your new latest TikTok um, dance video that you um, put up <laughs> the other day. I have to say, I wanted to comment on that because I really find your sense of humor also very endearing and lightens the conversation when we're talking about very serious things without making light of the situations we we're discussing um so for everyone who who doesn't know i don't I don't want to spoil it. I will just <laughs> post a link to it, add it in the chat in the description of the podcast but your humor your humor has been so refreshing and such a great balance uh, to what you do and the work that you do. I wanna give you an opportunity um, in addition to saying thank you to you for sharing some of your story and your evening, your time with us tonight and ask you, is there anywhere that you want to direct people, any information? Uh, how do they find you if they wanna reach out and contact you uh, and and not and share the love, not the hate? Uh, you can find
1: me on all social media at uh, the Autism Cafe, um i've written a book called all across the spectrum um it has my photography in it too um it was published by thought catalog and it's yeah it was my first dream that that came true and so i yeah this book is is special to me if you want to check it out um i'm always happy to uh to have conversation like you said as long as it's respectful even if you don't agree with me and you want to talk about it in a in a respectful way i'm uh you can, uh, I turn off my messages on, uh, on Facebook because it was too bad, but
0: uh, you can find me on Instagram at The Autism Cafe. Awesome. You're also doing a podcast, right? You want to shout that out and make sure oh, listeners yeah. can find you on your podcast?
1: I forgot about that. I'm doing a podcast. I mean, I'm hosting a podcast uh, with my autistic friend, Andrew. It's called Adulting on the Spectrum. And it's on Spotify, YouTube,
0: it's everywhere, adulting on the spectrum. Again, thank you so much, Eileen, for joining us. I will make sure that I post links to how people can access you and your wonderful information, as well as your book that you've published. And for anyone who's interested in learning more about applied behavior analysis, you can do so by visiting www.behaviorbabe.com.